gather together to worship the Lord this morning. Greetings to those of you in the sanctuary, those of you who are worshiping with us in the gym, and those of you who are worshiping from home. I'm thrilled that we get to gather together to worship the Lord this morning. Just a few announcements about things going on in the life of the church. I want to make you aware of. First of all, there's some midweek opportunities starting back. We're not at a place yet with COVID to reopen a full Wednesday night, but we have some special opportunities for the ladies. There's two different ladies Bible study groups that are beginning soon. One will be a study of Jonah led by Trish Butterfield, and so that'll be beginning on Wednesday, September 9th. And there's also going to be a study picking back up that Karen Fowler was leading on discerning the voice of God. And even if you didn't participate in that at the beginning of last semester when that one started, you're still welcome to join in on that. So those two ladies groups both kick off on September 9th. Again, the Jonah one will be Wednesday nights in person or Monday nights in on Zoom. And then the um, Discerning the Voice of God will be an in-person-only study on Wednesday nights. There's no child care available for those, but again, that's a great opportunity for the ladies to get back together on campus. Men, there's some opportunities for you as well. Mike Presley, who's back here on the drums, is overseeing for us what we call Gateway's Men's Outdoor Adventures. We've already had two outdoor hiking times where we prayed together and fellowshiped together and did a hike together. This coming Tuesday night, men, we have a cookout here at Gateway, so you don't have far to go. As we come to the church campus and grill out hamburgers and hot dogs and enjoy a time just to fellowship together and be together here on the campus. And then coming up September 12th, we have a more challenging four-mile hike up at Lake Martin. It's a strenuous hike called the Deadening Alpine Trail. And so if you want to challenge, brothers, we're going to do a four-mile hike over to the cliffs of Lake Martin up over there. And there's some information on the blog. Go to gatewaybaptist.com slash blog, and you'll see all the information. We'd love to have you join us for that. Now, just two outreach opportunities we want to make you aware of. Last week, Audrey Gillis cast a vision for us of Operation Christmas Child and how we can reach the world by just filling shoeboxes with gifts and how those boxes make it around the world and the gospel goes forth with that. If you do not pick up a box, there's boxes in the back. Yeah, there you go. Mike's holding up one and Missy's holding up one back there. So if you want boxes, they're right behind them by the vestibule doors. Feel free to grab some. And also, last week, if you picked up a box and your box did not have the little label insert, that you're making a box for a boy or a girl that told you about tracking information and stuff. Those are back there as well. So, yeah, Audrey's waving those. Feel free to go get those. If you missed those in your box last week, we have plenty of those as well. Another outreach opportunity that we have that's been ongoing, we've called it for years, our Capitol Heights Middle School Ministry. Seth Rodebeck, one of our elders, oversees that. And I want him to come tell you about some exciting developments and changes as we seek to serve this school. Hey, good morning, y'all. I just wanted to let you know, if you've been around Gateway for a while, you've probably heard of the Capitol Heights Middle School Ministry. Um, we have recently renamed that HOPES, as you see up on the board there, which stands for Helping Our Public Education System. Um, not a lot is changing about that ministry right now. It's still focused exclusively on Capitol Heights Middle School, but as we've prayed about that, and we wanted to give it a little bit more of a formal name to it, and what we're really praying and what we're really hoping, what we believe the Lord is doing in our city is that he's calling us to more and more ministry in this city. And we would love for this uh, to, to expand beyond Capitol Heights Middle School. We're working with different churches in this ministry right now. And so that's really our desire there. And we just wanted you all to be aware of the name change. So when you see hopes now going forward, that is the Capitol Heights Middle School ministry. We're just praying that this is um, a step towards ministering to more and more schools in that. And then along with that, on September 19th, we're going to have an opportunity for us to come together and serve Capitol Heights Middle School they are hopefully going to be going to back to on-campus learning in October. And so they've asked if we would come and, and just help prepare the campus. We did this last year. It was a really fun time to come together. A lot of us turned out, put out pine straw, um, weed things, trim bushes, pick up trash, and just pray over the campus. And we're going to have some, I'm sure we'll have some food. We're still working out all the details. 
They're put down September 19th, and there will be new times and all that kind of thing to follow. It's also hopefully going to be an opportunity. We're feeding a lot of families right now um, in need at Catholic Heights Middle School. We want to invite them to come and serve with us. So it might be a great time for us to really come together and build relationship with those families and, and introduce them to that. But now let me just read our call to worship as we get ready to, to praise God to, together. It's Psalm 102, verses 25 to 28. And it says, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Let's praise God together. Sing your face. The Lord, our God, King, His love endures forever. For He is good, He is above all things. His love endures forever. Sing praise, sing praise, sing praise, sing. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, His love endures forever. For the life that's been reborn, His love endures forever. Secrets, secrets, secrets. God is faithful, forever God is strong, forever God is with us, forever. Sing that again. Forever God is faithful, forever God is strong, forever God is with us. Forever, forever. From the rising, from the rising to the setting sun, His love endures forever. By the grace of God, we will carry on. His love endures forever. Sing praise, sing praise, sing praise, sing praise forever. Forever God is faithful, forever God is strong, forever God is with us. Forever, forever God is faithful, forever God is strong, 
shall come with trumpet sound oh may I then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone all is to stand before the throne on Christ the solid rock I stand all of the ground is seeking sand all other ground is seeking sand on Christ the solid rock I stand all other ground is seeking sand all other ground is seeking sand All of the 
set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus Christ, my living hope. God, you are my living hope. So we pray for protection for our marriages here, that the families and the marriages would be a picture of Christ and the church, that husbands would lay down their lives for their wives, that wives would lay down their lives for their husbands, that there would be a mutual service to one another that points to you, and that that would extend across our church. We pray for the Love Loud Montgomery Ministry of the Montgomery Baptist Association. God, thank you so much for this organization we get to be a part of as they are providing food and clothes and counseling to people in need across our city. Lord, keep us from falling into the trap of only seeing our needs met. Help us, give us eyes for the world around us that needs your grace, that needs your provision. Show us ways that we can take what we've received and give graciously to others. And God, in our nation right now, as we continue to struggle with so much political and social unrest, when we struggle still with the COVID-19 pandemic, 
God, it is a world that feels chaotic. God, give us grace to see your sovereign hand in everything. Humble us, Lord, in these occasions. Help us reach out to you, not to the idols of man, but to the God who is alive, a living hope. God, give us peace, and may we pursue peace as we go through this world. Lord, for the unreached people of the Tamini of Indonesia, God, that need the gospel as much as we do, that have not heard it, Lord, we pray that you would provide missionaries from the church in Indonesia to go to these people to provide the gospel to them. Lord, you are reaching and have been reaching to the ends of the earth. And so, Lord, we pray that you would continue to do so for this specific people. And for our offering, Lord, it is an act of worship for us to say that all that we have belongs to you. And so when you say, give back to me what is already yours, then we give it with open hands. Give us gracious hearts, not under compulsion, God, but as a part of the work that you're doing, as an act of worship. And finally, for Grady, as he comes to share the word, thank you for the time that you've given him in study this week, for the voice that you've given him to provide the scriptures, God, to, to un- so that we might better understand what you are trying to say. You have given him a specific voice. Lord, we pray that you would make give us attentive ears. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, good morning again, Gateway family. It's great to see you this morning. I want you to find James chapter 4 in your copy of God's Word. James chapter 4. As you're fighting, let me remind you as we're walking through this book verse by verse, the big theme of this book, you see it on the screen there, is walking in faith. The whole theme of James comes down to how do we live out what we claim to believe? We claim to say that we're followers of Christ, so what does that practically look like in our lives? Think about all we've seen of the last three chapters and what we saw last week at the beginning of chapter 4. James has given us a really, really high standard of what walking in faith looks like. He's given us a really high standard of what it looks like to live out our faith. Walking in faith, we've already seen, involves finding joy in the trials, knowing that God works them for good. Walking in faith means we seek God's wisdom from above, not our own wisdom to navigate life. Walking in faith means we're quick to listen and slow to speak. Walking in faith means we desire to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Walking in faith means we have a growing heart to care for those in need. We have a growing heart to not show partiality but to love all. Walking in faith involves having speech that is tame, the tongue that is controlled. Walking in faith means living with humility and holiness and gentleness. It means putting off covetousness. It means putting off selfishness. Walking in faith means we love peace and desire peace. Walking in faith means we strive for it. Walking in faith, as we've seen in the last weeks, means we put off quarreling and put off arguing. So what is James doing for us in all of this? Well, think about going to the doctor. That's not what everyone likes to think about, right? But think about going to the doctor. When you go to the doctor for your annual physical and your annual checkup, your doctor may do what a lot of doctors do, and that is before they give you all the specifics of where you are, they tell you where you need to be, right? They say, okay, for a person your age, your weight should be this, and your blood pressure should be in this range, your cholesterol should be in this range, you should be exercising this much, and I don't know if you've ever heard that from your doctor, but they kind of paint the picture for you of where you're supposed to be. That, in a sense, is what James has been doing for us. He's painting a picture of what God's will for our lives is. He's been telling us before he gives us any diagnosis of where we are, this is what walking in faith looks like. This is what living out your faith looks like. This is God's will for you. But when you go to the doctor, if you, like me, 
They don't stop with saying this is where you should be. That would make the visit a lot more pleasant, right? They tell you, you know, this is where your blood pressure should be, but this is where it is. This is what your weight should be, but this is where it is. This is how much you should be exercising, but this is what you're doing. This is what you should be eating, but I think you're eating ice cream instead, right? They kind of give you the diagnosis then and compare it to where you're supposed to be. In a sense, friends, that's what we come to in James this morning. He's told us the big picture, what walking in faith looks like, and now comes the hard part, the diagnosis of how we measure up to that standard. But just as you go to the doctor, if they tell you your blood pressure is high, you need to lose weight, or you need to change your diet, or whatever, once they've told you how you measure up, the next step is they give you a treatment plan. They then tell you, this is what you should do in light of the information. And that's what we're coming to next week. Next week, we come to the key verse of the whole book of James, and that's a treatment plan, how we move forward in light of this. But what we come to this morning is a hard text, friends. It's the diagnosis from the doctor, so to speak. It is the telling us, how do we measure up to all that we've seen of what walking in faith looks like. To read our verses this morning, I want you to be looking for simply what is the diagnosis of our condition? When we fall short of walking in faith, when we fall short of living out what we claim to believe, what is God's diagnosis of us? What is his perspective for us? Again, friends, as we read these verses, this is a really hard diagnosis. This is a really hard text we come to. This is not a feel-good text this morning. But as we read it, I want you to realize even though it's hard, friends, it is a grace gift from God to us. That these hard texts like this, the ones that we don't run to in our readings necessarily, are good for us because it's a grace gift. God gives us wake-up calls because he loves us so much he doesn't leave us where we are. He loves us so much he doesn't want us to be lulled into thinking we're walking with him if there are areas to where we are not. So this morning let's dig into this text that's hard but it's also a grace gift. We come to James chapter 4 verses 4 and 5. Can I ask you to stand if you're able in honor of the reading of the word of God? James chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. I'll be reading out the English Standard Version. The words will also be excuse me, on the screen for you. James chapter 4, verse number 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made? to dwell in us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We're thankful for the verses that are so encouraging and so comforting, and yet we're thankful, Lord, that in your love for us, you give us hard texts like this that are painful and are convicting, but Lord, we're thankful that you love us so much. You give these to us to grow us and sanctify us, and is your grace gift to woo us back to yourself in areas where we've fallen short. So God, I pray you would do that this morning. This text would not beat us down, but this text would rather be you calling us to greater intimacy with you. You and your love for showing us areas we're falling short so that we can be closer with you, our creator who loves us so. So God, would you have your way as we work through these verses this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, before we look at this, these verses here, before we dig into the diagnosis of our condition, I want you to see what James is doing here. There's something really important in this text before we get to the harder part of it. What James is doing here is he's turning our hearts back to God. Before he gives us that diagnosis of where we're falling short, he is painting for us a picture of God's amazing love for us, what God has done for us. And the diagnosis doesn't make sense apart from this. So I want us to start with this idea this morning. I'll give you the main idea at the end of the message this morning, not at the beginning, but this is the first part of it. I want you to see at the outset of this that God loves us intensely. That God loves us intensely. Everything else about the diagnosis hinges on God's love for us. 
Now, if you think about the verse that we just read, you may be thinking, Grady, I do not see God's love in this. This sounds really hard. Where is God's love in this text? It's here in two places. The first place you see God's love here is actually in the diagnosis. When he calls us at the beginning of verse 4, you adulterous people. Now, how in the world do we see God's love in that description to us? Because if you think about how James normally greets people in his letter, my beloved brothers, my friends, he's all these like kind greetings. All of a sudden you get to this section, it's not my beloved brothers. He says, you adulterous people, literally you adulteresses. Now, what's going on here? How do we see God's love in this? Now, think about what adultery is. Adultery is when a married person cheats on their spouse. Adultery is where someone breaks their marriage vow, either physically or even emotionally, and they seek their love, their belonging, their intimacy with someone besides their spouse. So basically, adultery is the rejection of the, the one you're committed to to find your love from someone else. Adultery is you're rejecting the love of the person you're committed to to find love from someone else. Now, James applies that spiritually to God's people when they do not walk with God. Because when we choose sin, when we choose to turn our backs on God, we're rejecting his intense love for us. We're rejecting his amazing love for us. And we're looking for our fulfillment somewhere else. If you think about Scripture, all throughout Scripture, you will see the description of the followers of Christ in the New Testament being called the bride of Christ. For example, Revelation chapter 19, verse 7, is just one of those pictures. We're told that this, this image of what's going to come, let us rejoice and exult and give him, God, the glory for the marriage of the Lamb, that's Christ. The marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride, that's us, the church, his believers, has made herself ready. So the image of Scripture is we, God's people, are the bride of Christ, and that Christ is the groom, and that we are united to him in this way. Friends, we are made the bride of Christ not because of anything we have done. We are the bride of Christ because of God's grace. Because God chose to pursue us. Because God chose to turn our hearts to Him. Because God chose to unite us to Him. Because God chose to make us His own. Because God chose to give us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Because God chose in His kindness to give us grace upon grace. Because God chose to give His love to us so intensely. And so this indictment here in James verse 4 of you adulterous people is a stunning reminder to us of how God has pursued us in doing what we could not do. It's a stunning reminder to us of God's love for us that he of his own grace has taken us as rebellious people and made us his own and drawn us to him and has united us so intimately with him that we're called the bride of Christ. And so even the indictment of adulterous people reminds us of this incredible, covenantal, amazing love of God that he has poured out on us and that we so often reject. There's another place we see God's love in this text this morning, and that's in verse number 5. Look back down at James 4, verse 5. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell within us? Now, let me say at the outset, if you're reading a different translation, it may read a little bit different. This is one of the hardest verses in all the New Testament to translate. It's probably one of the most debated verses in all the New Testament into how this, what this verse means. So let me try to unpack it for us to help you see God's love in this. The subject of this verse in verse 5 is God. It tells us very clearly, um, verse, let me get back to here in verse 5, that he yearns jealously, that he hears God, that God does something. And what's the verb? He yearns. Some of your translation says he desires. That God feels a strong desire about something. In fact, God's desire is so strong, it says he yearns jealously. That God has a jealous yearning. God has a jealous desire. Now, that can be hard for us because when we think of jealousy, it's normally bad. 
When I'm talking to my kids about jealousy, it's usually not in a positive way. Like, that's good jealousy. We're trying to correct jealousy, right? Because so much of the jealousy in our heart is evil, it's sinful, it's self-focused. But there is a good type of jealousy. There is a holy jealousy. Again, if you think of the adultery marriage, come on here, there's a good jealousy that husbands and wives feel for each other. It is good for a husband to feel jealous for his wife's love just for him. It is good for a wife to feel jealous for her husband's loyalty to be for her. That is a good, holy jealousy. If we can have a little glimpse of a holy jealousy this life, how much more so can a holy, perfect, good God feel good jealousy and perfect jealousy and holy jealousy? In fact, it is so good and it is such a part of God's character. It's actually one of his names, Exodus chapter 34 Verse 14, we think about the names of God. This is not the one we typically put on our wall calendars, but here it is. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is what? His name is what? Is jealous. He is a jealous God. God's jealousy is not sinful. Most of the jealousy in my heart is sinful. Most of the jealousy in your heart is sinful. But for God, his, these jealous yearnings, these desires we see back here in James 4 are good and they're holy and they are perfect. Now, what is God jealous about? Go back to James chapter 4, verse 5 here. He yearns jealously over the spirit that he is made to dwell within us. He is, yearns jealously. He feels this holy, good, jealous desire about the spirit he made to dwell within us. Now, like I said, this is a debated text on what this means. There's two possible interpretations. I'll tell you what I think on it. I'll tell you both of them. If you disagree with me, we can still be friends. It's okay. Both of them are... Okay, on this one. Some people believe the Spirit here is referring to the Holy Spirit. This is not how I understand this text, but some people would say that this jealousy God feels is the Holy Spirit within us, and it's, the, and it's God the Father jealous and longing for the Holy Spirit to have control of us, for the Holy Spirit to be leading us, for us to be surrendering ourselves to the Holy Spirit's direction. I can see why people land on that. That is very faithful to the rest of Scripture, and that's very good, and I think that's a very appropriate application of it. But when James uses the word spirit here, the other places he uses it in the book, he's not referring to the Holy Spirit. He's referring to the human spirit. Some people call it your inner person, your soul, your spirit, your inner man, whatever term you want to use. That's where I think he's actually landing based on the way it's used in other places. Because you see, when God made us, he made his body, but he also made us with a soul and a spirit as well. This is what distinguishes us from the animal kingdom. That's why you don't see animals worshiping. Animals aren't spiritual beings. We are. God has put a spirit within us. It's the unseen part of us. It's part of what makes us made in the image of God. And so the other way you can interpret this verse where I land on this, what God is jealous for is our spirits. God is jealous for our inner person, for our souls to be in line with him. And in particular, what's he jealous for our souls to be like? Three things here, I believe, are the good jealousy of God towards our spirit, towards who we are as our inner person here. Number one, God is jealous. God is desiring for us to love him in return. He is desiring for us, who he has bestowed such love on, for us to love him in return. In fact, you see this in other places in Scripture. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 38. And Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with part of your being. No, with all of your heart. All of your soul, there it is, that soul, that spirit, that inner person of you, with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. So whether it's with your emotions, whether it's with your thoughts, but with your inner person, with a spiritual part of you, to worship God with all of you. This is the first and the greatest commandment. 
So God has a holy good desire that the people that he has loved will love him in return. And not just with lip service on a Sunday morning. He wants us to love him from the depths of our being. That our spirits inside of us would love him and long for him. That's a good holy desire of jealousy of God yearning over us. Number two though, besides him desiring for us to love him in return, he also is jealous and longing for us to obey his commands. He wants us to obey his commands. Friends, he gives us the commands for our good. He wants us to delight in his commands. We see this when we look to the Psalms, but Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 through 11. Just think about how our heart should be towards God, from not just externally, but in our inner person, how we should feel about the law of God. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Notice this pattern here that of how the law changes us in the inside and what our heart should be. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. More to be desired. Again, this should be our attitude towards the law of God. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. That, friends, is a picture for us of what God is yearning for our heart's attitude towards his word to be. God wants us to love him and respond to his love by loving him back. And God desires for us to look at his word, his law, and have this type of longing to where we long for his word and desire it more than we desire anything else in this word. And that would include all that we've seen laid out in James, that we should be desiring by God's grace. So what is God jealous for within us? What is he longing for? He's longing for us from the depths of who we are to love him, from the depths of who we are to love his word. And number three, he wants us to live our lives for his glory. God longs for us to live our lives for his glory. He has a desire and a holy desire that the people he has bestowed every spiritual blessing on would not take those and make them about themselves, but would take those and use them for his glory, his fame, his renown. Again, a picture of what this desire should be like for us, Isaiah chapter 26, verse 8. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for your name and your remembrance. Some translators say your renown, your fame. They're the desire of our soul. So what is God yearning for within us? Well, yes, he's yearning for the Holy Spirit to control us, but God is also yearning that we respond to his love by his grace and love him in return. He is desiring for us to love his law. He is desiring for us to orient our lives for his glory. So that's the good news of the text here. God loves us with such an intense love that we are called the bride of Christ, that we are united to him. He loves us so and yearns over us so, longing for us to respond to his love with those things we just mentioned. But just like you go to the doctor and they paint, this is what a person your age should be like, and then you see the doctor kind of smile and you go, but, and you know what's coming next. You realize that we've not measured up to whatever it is. That's where James is going with this as well. We all fall so short of loving God in response. We all fall so short of obeying him, even desiring to obey. We all fall so short of living for his glory. We all sin. And when we fall short of responding to the Lord, what is the diagnosis of us? Go back to the beginning of verse four. You adulterous people. Now, friends, this is not a new diagnosis. Remember, James is writing to Christians from a Jewish background. And so he uses a very common Old Testament image to help them understand this. In the Old Testament, when Israel would forsake the worship of God for idols, 
the indictment was adultery. When Israel forsake God's commandments and live like the lost nations around them, the, the indictment was, again, adultery. You see this all throughout Scripture. For example, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 20. Notice how God describes his people Israel at the time because they had forsaken him. He says, Surely as a treacherous wife leaves her husband, so have you been treacherous to me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. So what James is doing here in James chapter 4 is not something new. He's writing to Jewish background Christians, and he's pulling the image that they would most get to realize how serious sin was to God. Another one from Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 27. I doubt we found this one in any of our devotionals recently in our own devotional readings. I've seen your abominations, your adulteries in your names, your lewd whorings on the hills in the field. Woe to you, O Jerusalem. How long will it be before you are made clean? Yes, friends, that is the word of God describing how God views his people when they turn their backs on him to run after sin. And James takes this language from the Old Testament prophets to describe the awfulness of Israel's sin, and he applies it to the church today, to believers then and believers now, to help us understand how God views it when we turn our backs on him to run after other things instead. Friends, this language is strong because turning our backs on God is that serious. Because sin is that serious. Friends, we live in a culture that wants to excuse sin. We, want to, we live in our, our own hearts want to justify our sin. We live in a culture to where we don't want to deal with sin in our life, and we don't, don't want to deal with sin in other people's lives as well. And this imagery of adultery being used to describe sinning against God is there to help us realize how serious sin is to God. And when we choose to sin, we're turning our backs on the one who's made us, redeemed us, blessed us, and that's a serious thing. And so James is waking us up from being lulled into thinking, oh yeah, I'm walking with God, oh yeah, I'm living out my faith, when we may not be. Now this raises three important questions for us, we're going to understand what James is driving home for, for us to understand this text. Number one, what makes us spiritual adulterers? Second of all, what are the consequences of this spiritual adultery? And number three, what is the hope? So what makes us spiritual adulterers in God's eyes? Second of all, what are the consequences? And number three, what is the hope? I want us to briefly tackle those three things to make sure we understand the text. Number one, what makes us spiritual adulterers? And James gives us the answer back in verse number four. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world, there it is right there, is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So what makes us spiritual adulterers? It's being a friend of the world. Now, to understand this, we have to realize the word friend was used differently in James's time than now. Now, friend means that you're one of a thousand people who like you on Facebook, right? A friend is just kind of this loose acquaintance in today's world. But at the time, the friend meant someone who had a lifelong pact with someone else. It was two people who not just had a lifelong pact, but they shared the same mindset. They shared the same outlook. They share, the, they share the same values and goals and loyalties and interests. So a friend was someone who thought just like you thought, and you were linked together for life because you had the same loyalties and the same commitments. So when James says you're a friend of the world, that means you have the same loyalty as the world, the same mindset as the world, that you've linked yourself for life with the world. Now, what does he mean by the world? This is, he means the evil world system that is opposed to God. The evil world system that is contrary to God's word. The evil world system that's ultimately under the control of Satan. We saw it back in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 10. We looked at that last year. That He tells us, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That's in our past. Following the course of this what? 
the course of this world. Same word in James here. We're following the course of the world. When we were lost, when we were in our sin before Christ redeemed us, we were following the world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So a friend of the world, then, is someone who claims to be a Christian but acts like non-believers. It's someone who claims the name of Christ but aligns their values and their thinking with the world the way the non-redeemed would. Someone who claims to be a Christian but whose life is contrary to Scripture. It's someone who says, oh yeah, I'm a follower of Christ, but they do the exact opposite of everything James has told us. A friend of the world then is someone who doesn't find joy in the trials but complains in the trials. A friend of the world is someone who doesn't seek God's wisdom but relies on their own wisdom. A friend of the world is someone who is slow to listen but quick to speak. A friend of the world is someone who hears the word but ignores it and does what they want to do. A friend of the world is someone who sees people in need and neglects it. A friend of the world is someone who shows partiality within the church. A friend of the world is someone who has an untamed tongue and they use their tongue to tear down people. A friend of the world is someone who acts selfishly and covets. A friend of the world quarrels and argues and fights. And a friend of the world, like we saw last week, is someone who's prayerless or prays selfish prayers. And James is showing you all this, that when we choose those paths, when we choose to reject what God's word said, we're friends of the world, and in God's eyes, that's spiritual adultery, because we're turning our backs on the love of God, seeking our identity, our love, our affections, and these things that are contrary to his will. So that's what, what is a spiritual adulterer, someone who's a friend of the world. Number two, what are the consequences? What are the consequences? Just as if you go to the doctor and the doctor says, you have cancer, you know, there's going to be consequences to that diagnosis. There's, there's consequences to the diagnosis of spiritual adultery for God's people as well. Look at verse 4, and these are serious here. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is, what's this next word here, friends? Friendship with the world is what? Enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to make him be a friend of the world makes himself a what? What's the next word? An enemy of God. Let's talk about strong consequences. That those who choose to turn our backs on the love of God and to choose to follow the world instead are at enmity with God, are become enemies of God. Friends, like I mentioned earlier, one of the great lies of American Christianity is that sin is not that bad. We've bought into the lie that, listen, I prayed the prayer, I'm going to heaven, God doesn't care, I stand forgiven, it doesn't really matter what I do. And we bought into that lie for our lives and the lives of our friends as well. God's going to forgive me is not a big deal, but friends, it is a big deal. When we choose to reject the love of God to run after the world, it puts us at enmity with God. So the word enmity and the word enemy is the idea of hostility and opposition. This is the sobering reality check for us. God opposes those who are in spiritual adultery. God opposes those who who say they're followers of Christ but turn their back on his love. Remember, friends, this is written to Christians. This is the same audience that James has called, my beloved brothers, my beloved brothers, my beloved brothers. Now, all of a sudden, he goes, doesn't say my beloved brothers. He says, you adulterous people. He's writing to the same people here, reminding them that God will oppose his own children when we forsake him for the world. Don't miss that, friends. God will oppose us, his children, when we turn our backs on him and run after the world. Why would he oppose his own children? Two reasons. One, it's not really because his glory is at stake. God will tolerate no rivals. God will not tolerate his name being drugged through the mud. He deserves worship and he deserves the glory. So his glory is saved. But number two, he will oppose us when we run after the world because our good is at stake. 
Our good is at stake. God knows the destruction that comes to us and to others when we link up our loyalties with the world. God knows the harm that will come to our own soil, our own soul when we connect ourselves to the world's way of thinking, when we run after those things instead of after his love. Therefore, in his love, he will oppose us. When I mean oppose us, not to condemn us. If we really are in Christ, the penalty of sin is completely paid for. We are free from all that, and we stand redeemed because of Christ. But he will still oppose us in the sense of discipline to break us of our spiritual adultery, to lull us back to himself, not lull us, but to woo us back to himself, to call us back, to draw us back in love. And so God, when he sees us linking up with the world, he will oppose us in discipline, in loving discipline for our good and for his glory. We get just a glimpse of this in the verse we're going to come to next week, which I think is the key verse of all of James. Look down to verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God, there's this next word, opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes those who are proud and self-reliant, and he does so, and he opposes us to bring us back to himself. This is not an opposition of just punishment. This is God disciplining his kids for their good to bring them back to himself. We see this laid out in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. We've looked at it many times, but it's a great reminder. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son he receives. The word chastises, some translations render it as punishing, one even litters, renders it scourging. God punishes, he scourges, he chastises the sons he receives. Why? Verse 11, a few verses later in Hebrews 12. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. Again, there's the understatement of all the Bible, right? At the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields. This is what happens. Why does God oppose us when we're in spiritual adultery? Why does God oppose us when we are linked to the world? He does this so he can yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That God loves us so much, he takes our sin seriously and doesn't be like, oh, I like him, it's okay, he'll get over it one day. When we link ourselves to the world's way of thinking, we turn our backs on the love of God to run after the world. God loves us so much, he will oppose us to break us of that so that we can have a life that yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So what, are the, what makes us spiritual adulterers, to use James's term here, is friendship with the world. Our loyalties with the world, the lost system around us. What are the consequences? Opposition from God and the discipline of God. At least the third question this morning, is there any hope? Because again, I said at the beginning, this text is hard. This is not the feel-good one. This is not the one you run to when you want encouragement. This is a hard text, and I understand that. But it's also a text full of the grace of God. Texts like this are a grace gift from God to, to, to wake us up from being lulled into thinking we're okay if we're not. God loves us so much he doesn't let us be deceived. God loves us so much he doesn't allow us to remain in state, is what James called in chapter 1 of being double-minded. God wants us to be single-minded for him, so he gives us hard warnings like this to bring conviction, to bring discipline, to bring hope. So what do we do, friends, if we realize there's parts of our life where we're aligning with the world instead of with God? What do we do when we realize there's areas in our life where we've turned our back on God's love and we're running after the world instead. Here's where the hope comes. One word. We repent. We repent. When God gives us texts like this to convict us, is not to break us to a point of despair. It's to break us to a point that we repent so that we can then experience the benefit of discipline, and that's having a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. 
So what does it mean to repent? This is an important word. If we're going to walk in faith and live out our Christian life, what do we do? How do we repent? What does that mean? When God shows us their sin, whether it's with our speech or with our thoughts or what we do when we're alone in private or how we view another person, when God convicts us areas to where we're linking up with the world instead of with him, how do we repent? I think there's five aspects of repentance. Five things that we need to understand happen with repentance because we use this word a good bit. Let me just mention these briefly to you. Repentance involves, number one, recognizing our sin and grieving over it. It's recognizing our sin and grieving over it. It's not excusing our sin. It's not blaming someone else for our sin. It's saying, yeah, I, I know God's standard and I fell short of it. But not just acknowledging that. It's a, me grieving over it, Me going, God, I have offended you. And our hearts are broken that we have offended God. So repentance is recognizing our sin and grieving over it. Number two is confessing our sin to God. It's not enough for me to just feel sorry for what I did or you to feel sorry for what you did. Repentance is me talking to God about it. In prayer, going to God saying, God, here's your standard. Here's where I feel. God, you told me to be quick to listen and slow to speak. But God, I was quick to speak and slow to listen. Forgive me. And we go to God acknowledging how we have broken his standard. Number three, we ask for his forgiveness. There's nowhere that our culture loves the idea of forgiving yourself. There's nothing in scripture about forgiving yourself. When we sin, we've offended God. And God is the one who needs to forgive us. So we go to God, recognizing our sin, broken over our sin, acknowledging it to him in confession, and asking for his forgiveness. I think too often we stop with repentance right there, but there's two more things I think are important to repentance. Number four is we ask God for grace to change. We ask God for the grace to change. We go to him not going, God, I blew it in this, forgive me. Then tomorrow, God, I blew it in this, forgive me. And, And going through these patterns of sin... True repentance, friend, is us going to God saying, God, forgive me for the sin. And God, please, please give me grace to change. I don't want to keep living this way. And we ask God to transform us and change us. So repentance is recognizing our sin and grieving over it and confessing our sin to God, asking God's forgiveness. Number four, it was asking God for grace to not keep living this way. And number five is taking whatever practical steps he shows us to take. Repentance involves taking whatever steps. If if God leads us to memorize some scripture on this, if he leads us to go talk to a brother in Christ, to her sister in Christ, to help us walk through this and overcome it, whatever it is, we follow whatever steps God shows us. So is there hope when we realize that we're linked to the world and we're not following God? There is, friends, and the hope comes when we repent. Because when we repent, friends, God not only forgives, he heals and he restores. He cleanses us and he transforms us and he leads to a peaceful fruit of righteousness in our life. Now let's bring all that together. I normally give you the main idea at the beginning of the sermon. Now it's the main idea as we come to the end of the sermon today. So here's the main idea I want you to take away from these two hard verses in James chapter 4. Simply this, friends. God loves us intensely. But here's the question for us. Are we loving him in response or are we loving the world instead? If you think about these two hard verses about God saying to us when we turn our back on him we're spiritual adulterers, the big picture of this is that this is showing us God's intense love for us. God's amazing love for us. That he created us knowing that we would turn our backs on him. He redeemed us knowing we would still turn our backs on him. He's united us to himself. He's given us every spiritual blessing. He's given us grace upon grace. He's loved us with a pure, holy love, greater than any love we can experience anywhere on this planet. He has loved us intensely, friends. But that begs the question of us, what are we doing in response to his love? He demands of us to love him in response. He requires us to love him and obey him and live for his glory. He feels this holy desire for us to do so. So our challenge for this week is simply this. Let's remember the love of God. And as we remember it, friends, we need to ask ourselves, are we loving him in response or are we loving him instead? 
Are we thinking about all the grace and the mercy we've received from God? Is it leading us to a place to where, like the psalmist in Psalm 19, we're saying, God, I love your law. God, orient my life to your glory. Are we a people who are longing for these things? Or are we wanting to use God to get out of hell and then go live the way we want to live the rest of the week? Are we wanting the benefits of a relationship with God without the requirements? Are we approaching God for what we want, or are we running after the world for the rest? Friends, as we think about this question, I want us to think about one other angle on this question. Because James has warned us about the danger of being self-deceived. Because ultimately the end is not, do I think I'm loving God in response? What does God think? Because if God looks at our life, does he see a people who are loving him in response to his love? A people who are loving him because he first loved us. Is he seeing a people who are longing for his glory, not our own glory and self-advancement that James has been warning about? Does he see a people who delight in his love? What is God's assessment of how we're responding to his amazing love for us? Would you pray with me? Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the texts that are easy and fun. And God, we're thankful for the hard text as well. And so Lord, even as we think about this really challenging text this morning. God, I pray you'd use it in my life and the life of these precious brothers and sisters, Lord. That you would sanctify us, that you would grow us through this. Lord, we all have blind spots. God, we all have areas to where our thinking has aligned itself more with the world than with you. So, Lord, in your grace and your kindness this week, would you bring conviction to each one of our hearts God, where we need conviction? If there's areas to where we're acting like friends of the world, where we've linked up our loyalties to the way the world thinks, if we're orienting ourselves more to the world than to you, God, would you in your kindness to us, through the Holy Spirit within us and through your word coming alive to us this week, God, would you bring conviction where conviction is needed? Whether it's a failure to seek you for wisdom, whether it's not finding joy in the trials, whether it's not trusting that you're bringing good in the trials, or whether it's us having an uncontrolled tongue or us speaking too hastily, Father, us showing partiality or not loving people or being quarrelsome, all these things we've seen in James. Lord, you know what's happening in my heart and the heart of each of these brothers and sisters. So God, in your love for us this week, would you pursue us? And God, would you show us areas that we need to repent of? Or not to break us, to punish us and make us miserable, but to break us so that we can repent and run to you and find the sweetness of restoration and healing and cleansing that comes when you forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. So Lord, this week, would you be orienting my heart and the heart of these brothers and sisters to be a people who are absolutely blown away and amazed at your intense love for us. God, would you remind us day by day by day this week of how you have pursued us when we were in our sins, how you continue to pursue us, how you love us, how you've blessed us, how you've given us grace upon us. And I pray you would just blow our minds this week, Lord, with thoughts of your love and your grace. And then with that, Lord, would you push us, would you draw us, would you woo us, would you convict us, would you do whatever you need to do this week, Lord, so that we love you in return, so that we delight in your word, and so that we want our lives to be about your glory and your story and your fame and your renown, not our own. So Lord, would you do that precious work that only you can do of sanctifying us this week. Lord, when we gather together as a body of believers next Sunday, that we'll be holier, that we will love you more, that we will delight in you more, not because of any self-effort on our part, God, we can't do that, but because your Holy Spirit has taken your word this week and transformed us and grown us. And we know as you do that, Lord, though it's hard and it can be painful times, Lord, it is so sweet 
is so good. And it'll bring us ultimate joy and it'll bring you great glory. So do that in our lives this week, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning?
challenge God with this message Father just to reflect on our own lives this week God when we look at our lives do we look more like the world God like we're friends with the world or do we look like we're more friends with you God God show us areas in our lives where we need to change God God break us for the things that break your heart God God help our hearts to break for those things as well it's in your name we pray Father Amen you are dismissed Thank you.